You're listening to the Broadway Podcast Network. What does motion sound like? With Kizik Hands Free Shoes, it sounds a little something like this. Experience the magic of motion. Get a free pair of socks with your first order at kizik.com slash socks. The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed? Also 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters, both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand. Oh, my. No. Oh, my God. It's beautiful. It's really wow. something. I'm memorizing a play, and he's sitting in a hospital by going, I'm going to memorize this goddamn poem. You know, I'm going <laughs> to goddamn... He's a fascinating wow. guy. But, but he's... Uh, the hardest times have been coming home as an older man throughout the years. I'm Kevin Blyer, the host of The Backdrop, and normally I say something scripted here. (laughs) And, uh, well, maybe this part is, these words right here. But the very next part I say, I assure you, well, isn't scripted, because I'm not exactly sure how to express what I plan to say. But because this episode is honestly personal to me, I feel like I should try. Here's what I know about this play, Harry Townsend's Last Stand, that it is in some part about um, dementia, uh, at least elder care. And that is something that I am um, confronting right now. Uh, My mother uh, has fairly rapidly declined from four or five years ago when she was uh, perfectly um, able to communicate and understood at all times the world around her. Uh, That is no longer true. And uh, I am a grown man who has had the occasion to um, return home the last few years and spend some significant amount of time with her and have watched her um, struggle to um, remember who I am to remember where she is, to remember what's going on. Um, So when I read about this play, Harry Townsend's Last Stand, and had the opportunity to interview um, two of the actors in it, uh, Len Carreyou and Craig Bierko, um, I jumped at it because it means a lot to me. I, um, my mom was young when she first started showing some signs of dementia. She was still in her 60s, and... I remember the first few times I thought something was wrong. They were at times of heightened anxiety and emotion. Um, in fact, the first time I remember thinking she should remember what she's trying to say was actually when she was with me um, at The Daily Show with John Stewart, where I was a writer for a long time, and she had just met John Stewart. And... Uh, <laughs> Uh, moments after she couldn't remember his name, she couldn't say exactly what was going on, and I, at the time, wrote it up to her excitement, I suppose, about being around that environment and um, seeing her son, me, who she was proud of, um, thriving, and I think she was, I don't know what it, I can't explain, but uh, it was the first time I noticed that she was out of body in that sense, and, you know, it's easy to chalk it up to excitement. But then I would see her every few months, 
And since I was only seeing her every few months, unlike my father, um, who was seeing her every day, um, I noticed uh, more acutely the decline. Um, so, so um, yeah, I actually just got back from visiting them for a few weeks. And, uh, you know, it's not good. It's not easy. Um, so um, I have not seen the play. It opened after I recorded these interviews with Lynn Carriou and Craig Bierko, but I thought it would be best to um, just speak honestly, and I suppose from the heart, as much as a cynical comedy writer like me uh, is disinclined to do. But um, you know what? With that, I'll stop. The plot of Harry Townsend's Last Stand is that a grown man returns home to his elderly father and doesn't quite recognize the relationship that they once had. And that is the plot of my life as well right now. Okay, so forgive me. Uh, Thanks for indulging me. And back to the script. I need a script. (laughs) And so do the stars of Harry Townsend's Last Stand. It's a fairly new play by playwright George Eastman, which recently had its off-Broadway debut at New York City Center Stage 2. And when Len Cariou got his hands on the script, he knew it was of the sort that doesn't come around all that often. I came by kind of honestly. Dennis Grimaldi, who was our producer, 50-some-odd years ago in Chicago at the Goodman Theater School, I was doing Iago and Othello with James Earl Jones. (laughs) Dennis Grimaldi was in that company and he really had a career as a dancer so he I'm sitting at home for about three, three, maybe four years ago and the agent calls and says Dennis Grimaldi says he has a play for you and I said Dennis Grimaldi Grimaldi. (laughs) oh for God's sake and I remembered him I said I even know who this guy is so anyway, I get the play, and I go, wow, this is really a good play. This is really a good play. And it's right. a wonderful role for myself and for the other guy, too. Len Carriou is, yes, the Len Carriou, a legend of Broadway. The other guy he mentions, that's Craig Bierko, the Craig Bierko, I promised I had to call him that, who, Broadway cred-wise, was a Tony nominee for The Music Man. Oh, and the star of Bathing with Bierko. I promised him I wouldn't mention that. They play father and son in the play. And even before they started rehearsals, both father and son had one thing in common, a Sondheim story. So, of course, I'm sitting in this room now with two gentlemen who have played two of the most iconic roles in in theater, Harold Hill and Sweeney Todd. Although, it's hard to say that they're all that different. I should ask... Cannibalism <laughs> issue. Yeah, exactly. Have you ever played each other's? Have you played... Have you ever wanted to play Sweeney? Have you played Harold Hill? No, I haven't. Yeah, I would have loved to have done that. Yeah. Oh, my God. You really but he beat me to it. There you ah! go. There you go. <laughs> There you go. Can lead seventy six trombones. How about you? Ever wanted to play Sweeney? I they did a smaller production downtown a a year or two ago. Was that on Barrow Street Theater? And uh, my girlfriend at the time auditioned for it. Didn't get it. We and the idea was maybe this would be fun to do together. 
Oh. And so this is, you know, it's, and, and, but she ended up not, it didn't work out okay, for her. Okay. And so I didn't. I find Sondheim uh, massively uh, terrifying. <laughs> it's, uh, I used to say it's the musical version of Long Division. <laughs> <laughs> I was just like, I'm sorry, what kind of sane mind can get from that note to that? Right. That interval is not, that's not even, yeah. but it's like Cirque du Soleil. You can't believe what you're looking at yeah. and hearing. But uh, I found it, I, I, I think there was the issue with the girl, but there was also a bit of an intimidation factor. <laughs> but oh my God. Right. Pretty women. Right. <laughs> it's right. just one of the, one of the, the I, you should have been there. I went to Stephen's home and I'd never been in the, in the, in the music room. Where he composes. Yeah, where yeah. he composes. And I, that's all I'd ever done. <clears throat> yeah, sure. I've been in the house, but I've never been in that room. So we're, uh, we're sitting there at the piano, and he's very nervous. And I'm going, he's nervous. I'm supposed to be nervous. Excuse me. And he gets up and he leaves. And he comes back, sits down at the piano. Lights the joint. Oh, yeah. Fantastic. <laughs> and then, what am I going to say? No. But we you didn't a, inhale. We, we, have so a, much. we have a couple of tokes. And he said, okay, that's better. Do you know the Catholic Mass for the Dead? Uh-huh. And I said, Stephen, Irish, French, Catholic. Diezire, diezira. And he says, right. He says, listen to this. Ba-dum, 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 ba-dum. That's D-A-Z-R-A backwards. Oh, gosh. Oh, my gosh. Oh, and I wow. said, oh, you're a sick fuck, aren't you? Uh, <laughs> and he laughed and he and said, partnership was born. <clears throat> it gets better. <laughs> yeah, of course. And then hands me what looked like the phone book. And it's Little Priest. And he, he, I said, what is this? He says, it's the finale of the first act. And he starts to play it. And I'm just in about 10 bars. I'm on the floor. What is this? Incredible. And that's when he said, and I'm laughing. And he said, turned to me and he said, it gets better. And then he plays a little priest. That is. And meantime, you two are high as a kite. That's fantastic. It's so ridiculous yeah. that maybe it's freeing in some way. I would we think, right? Company, you know, we had two weeks to put it together. Yeah. And it was the way it was told to us was it's going to be a concert with the Philharmonic, and that sounds nice. We'll put on our tuxedos. And Stephen Colbert yeah. says, I'll put on a tuxedo, I'll walk out, I'll sing a song, they'll stand up, and I'll go home. <laughs> Wasn't it's so easy, huh? He said, and then I came in and I saw the opening number and I got vertigo. <laughs> and because we were going to stage it. We absolutely staged it. There was no, it was so, it was a concert would stand. Never. And you know you should be frightened when you're standing behind Patti Lapone about to make an entrance and she turns around to me and she goes, do we go out on the, is it the second? I was like, oh Can you no, tap me on the shoulder? Die. But there was something so freeing about that. And knowing he's out there, he could, he was, it was, it hmm. was it was a wonderful, wonderful experience. I do. I had the second Bobby, 
and I still wake up in the middle of the night and scream screaming Bobby. <laughs> yeah, because if I missed it, Ms. everything Pong goes would, off the rails. Miss her, she'd fall into the orchestra pit, and I would have yeah, been but killed. You, the lights would be off the Broadway. Woman who yells at audiences. She wouldn't have let me. No, no. Yeah, you couldn't get away with much. No. But on to Harry and his last stand. The play that brings these two actors together isn't about getting yelled at by Patti Lapone or getting stoned with Stephen Sondheim. But it's those kinds of cherished memories and their value as memories that are at the heart of the play and on the mind of Harry Townsend. Well, I'm I'm in my 80, mid-80s and, and he has two kids. They were twins, a boy and a girl. And we don't ever meet the girl, but she's been taking care of me since my wife died. And, you know, things are pills and mm -hmm. all this stuff that, that happens to folk. And it was starting to happen to Len, too. Okay. Um, not forgetting the pills so much, but the, you know, wait a minute, I can't get up. <laughs> I can't get up now. And I have to push off to get up and... Uh, some old hockey injuries may be coming back to haunt me. There you go. Oh, the Canucks. <laughs> and, uh, so it rings true for you. Oh, yeah. And there I am in my home, and he's coming to visit, but he hasn't been here for almost a year. And he's living in California now. I know he's coming to, for a visit, but I don't know why. And I'm waiting for him. And I'm laying for him, too, because he hasn't been here in almost a year. <laughs> so you have gonna, some things to I'm tell him. bust his balls. <laughs> um, I really am. Craig's character, Alan, returns home. The prodigal son, the regretful adult, hoping to help. The best laid plans. You plan to have a difficult conversation. A heist. A heist. No, uh, it's, <laughs> yeah, I, it's, um, it's not so much of a spoiler, I think, to say that uh, I, I'm I'm concerned. And although, yeah, we have that, uh, which I think almost any son and father would be able to, I certainly can relate to. How could how could you possibly say that and mean it? You know, <laughs> uh, it, yeah. so many different variations sure. of that conversation, and then later in life you realize, of course. An idiot, not to you know, or I was young, I was too young. Um, and so, there's something prodigal, I think, about coming back as an older man. And and one of the things I'm really looking forward to, and, and it happens immediately uh, in the play, is no matter what you've done, no matter what you've accomplished, no matter what you've seen, who you've saved, what country you've run, <laughs> when you get back with your parents, you become. The nine-year-old, right. and uh, <laughs> and all everything goes right out the window. <laughs> it's that family dynamic, both specific to the play and universal to most every playgoer, that Amy Goyer knows quite well. It's her job. Yes. Hi, I'm Amy Goyer. I'm AARP's family and caregiving expert. And I've worked in the field of aging for more than 35 years. And I've also been a family caregiver 
the entire time. First caring for my grandparents when I was in my early 20s. My grandmother had Alzheimer's disease. And then caring for my mom who had a stroke when she was 63. And moving on, and, and as my parents aged, my dad developed Alzheimer's also. So I was been caring for him. We, we just lost my dad about a year ago. And uh, he was 94. He um, lived, lived a great life. And he lived with me the, the last six years of his life. So I've had a wide variety of experiences, including a lot of other, you know, aunts and uncles and lots of experience, lots of varied experiences. And, and caregivers have such a wide variety of roles. And, and I'm kind of a good example of that because every person I've cared for, I've, I've had slightly different roles with. Amy's decision to become roommates with her father, well, it was a role she had to play. My dad just got to a point where, he, you know, he could be alone for five minutes. And so it was a financial decision, and it was also the quality of their care decision. I wanted to have more control over how they were cared for and provide more myself. So, about that difficult conversation that Craig's character, Alan, is forced to have. You know, these difficult family conversations are kind of a hallmark of the caregiving experience. And when you have these conversations, it's really important to think about who needs to be a part of the conversation. It may be that your loved one needs to have a certain person at the table that they respect and will listen to. For example, my grandmother, whenever we talked about health issues, she wanted my uncle to be part of that conversation because he taught high school health, which is fine. Okay, so if that's what it takes. You know, sometimes they want the accountant there or the lawyer or your faith community leader, a certain member of the family, a friend, whoever needs to be part of that conversation and approach it with respect and love. You know, be very clear that we're all on the same team here. And the goal for all of us is for you to remain as independent as possible for as long as possible. We're not coming in here telling you what to do. This is our concern. It's good to do your homework ahead of time and have some very specific observations about things you're concerned about, but also specific options and alternatives. So if you're going in and saying, you know, mom, dad, I really think you need to have a different living situation. Here's why. And here's how we will set up things so that you still have the things that are important to you. So for example, Let's say they want to remain doing their volunteer work or they, they have a close relationship with their neighbors. You want to tell them how you're going to ensure that those things can continue. Driving is another big one, a lot of those conversations around driving. Yes, it certainly is. I'm remembering the moment I realized I couldn't let my mother have the keys and wondering if that was even my decision to make. One of the things that keeps coming up is where do you draw the line between... <laughs> I'm concerned, and you can't do that anymore, because it, people when you don't take the age, keys, it's not like you, you jete and then start re, you know, de-aging, and then you know, you, you, you're 16 and then 15 again, and we take the license away. No, this is, this is an adult, and if the adult is of sound mind and body and wants to keep taking the chances, they have the right to roll the dice, and you have to shut up, and that's hard. <laughs> I'm finding I'm, I'm more of the, the liberal one. Which is, which is hard just because I, now I've got to go. I don't want to go up against anybody in the family, sure. but uh, my mom moves down here just for the weekend. You know, uh, I, I see the things. I see, there's a little, she's a very sharp woman, little, little speed yeah. off the curb. 
this woman doesn't she she no I don't I'll I'll drive during daylight I drive myself to the gym this woman is 82 she goes to Zumba she <laughs> fell couldn't go to Zumba and she got upset for about a day and a half went I said how do you feel she goes I've been doing Tai Chi I was like you're gonna have us all pivot. you know you're gonna be running the country and she and, pivots and, yeah yeah and then now she's back in Zumba again okay. she goes and and I I just I, I want to grab everybody, but will you stop worrying and yeah. you find, and I do think there's a little bit of this in the play. I don't know if it's intended, but you end up projecting your own problems onto the person that you're trying to, yeah, of course. that you're concerned with. And that's what I'm looking for. That's what I'm searching for in the play. That interests me. Yeah. You know, there, there's always that sense that all families are alike, only different, right? In that way that we all have commonalities, but we confront life in different ways. I read that commonalities. A bit of an editorial note here. It's the job of theater, it seems to me, to expose our commonalities by putting the screws on our specificities. And the best way to make a father-son relationship universal? Make it specific. Yeah, there's some, some very specific things to keep in mind. I asked Amy how I should approach the issues with my mother, you know, generally. First of all, our parents will always be our parents, so it's important to approach them with that relationship and don't rob them of the ability to be that. You know, it was very important to me, especially with my dad. You know, my dad, I could put my head on my dad's shoulder and until the day he died and I felt better. He was still my dad. At the same time, you need to kind of try and put yourself in their place and understand the behavior. Craig goes home. And what he finds there is something that any son or father can relate to. There's an awful lot in this play that everybody will relate to, uh, at, at all ages, I think. And one of them is that invisible tide of, how did, why do I feel upset about this again? This is, I, you know, I feel like I'm, you know, having an argument about a poster I'm not supposed to have on my wall or something. And I'm, I'm yeah. a man, I've, I've done things. I, I have a driver's license for a long time now, you know. <laughs> And this, these, these are the kinds of things that happened. Uh, but I think he's had some uh, experiences that have, as we all have, that have humbled him as a, a man. And he's discovered his need for that original family, that original source, which was, I can relate to. I went away to California for a while. I never had a problem necessarily with my, with my family, but I did realize, oh, I, I was in California for about 12 years until I realized yeah, I, I don't care for it here. Mm -hmm. And came back to New York when I had the opportunity. And I realized one of the happy things that, that had happened was my relationship with my brother and my mom had matured into something else. I had I had discovered a little bit more about who I was. Sure. And uh, that is, while that's a great thing, personally, it, in the broad sense, it can be in, in specific moments during dinner while you're having specific conversations and opinions get expressed and you realize, yeah, you're actually not on the payroll anymore. That, you know? Yeah. My mother, to this day, yeah. is that how you're going to wear your hair? No. This is, uh, I'm borrowing Jack Klugman's wig for the week just while I'm seeing you. I have something spectacular. It never ends. You're not going to shave? That's not a question. It's always, right. I know you think it's a question. <laughs> but you're not going to shave is not a question. Uh, you know, all those fun things and, and George the writer, George Eastman, it, there's a they lot of They can be played for drama or for comedy. Well, I can't wait yeah. to get it. My favorite thing is finding those little moments uh, yeah. where, and and the structure of the play is there. And it is a mag, it's a magnificent role. 
Oh, I I have the I have the best seat in the house every day. Okay. Yeah. For, for, yeah. You know that's what of I course, have. Of course, to see that and up close. Is, and 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 the challenge. I, as I'm I'm only beginning to work on the uh-huh. script, uh-huh. but as I read it, what I discover is it's a lot of it is those smaller moments. Uh, there are moments of conflict that are obvious. I I come with an agenda, which is I want to stop worrying so much about my father. I want to stop worrying about you falling over or, you know, there's not, not going to be somebody there or or having something to eat, you know, and, and choking or something, all these things. But the truth is I haven't faced it. My twin sister's been there to, you know, line up the pills every morning uh, and, and be the day-to-day caretaker. And I've just said, why don't you go to New York, take a break, I'll come in like Batman through the sky, like, no. <laughs> and I'll be the closer. I think as I'm watching him and and we're going through all of these, you, you know, we're, we're experiencing the, the father-son relationship, which is very much alive, I am noticing some changes that, that, that uh, concern me. And I think for a portion of the play, I'm pushing away the uncomfortable idea of, okay. I think we got to make some changes. That's a very alive idea for me of, right now in my in my life. Yeah, me too. Uh, yeah, it's a very alive idea in my life as well. I'm living that life. If I may, I'm I'm the sister at this point. I'm the one setting up the pill boxes. But it also aligns with something you said earlier, is when I do arrive and find myself caretaking, I still regress to being the child to my parents Always. because I... I act the same way I acted as a petulant 15-year-old, even when I'm with them, even though I'm now in my 40s. And yet, I'm also in this new dynamic where I have to treat my mother like a child, because she's acting childish in the way she's acting out. And so, we're both still the child to our parents, and also having to treat them a little bit like the child we needed attention for when we were younger. Yeah. I'm a grown man, returning home to his aging parents, which is both pretty common and statistically unusual. The man part. According to the Journal of American Medical Association, yeah. two-thirds of caretakers for elderly parents are women. women yeah. So is there something as a man that either helps or hinders the conversation? Well, I, I, have, I have an opinion that I think, I, I think needs to be, it needs to be addressed. Uh, but there, there are, there's stuff that's happened in his life where I think he could probably, might be reluctant to, but could probably use a little fathering. And I think one of the things, I don't think he sees himself as a failure, but his marriage has failed. Yeah. And there's an opportunity there. We see all these colors in the play of uh, somebody who's there to hug him and hold his son as long as he can. Uh, and also give him, how did you put it? Give him the zets? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I remember both of those things from, from my from my dad, you know, uh, and I think there's a certain way, certainly, you know, with my stepfather, certainly he's an Irish Catholic. I can't wait to tell him this thing. <laughs> so, and he's memorizing right now. What's he doing? He's memorizing the William Wordsworth Ode. Did you, the, uh, intimations of immortality from recollect the recollection of childhood. Have you ever read this? Oh my, no. oh my God. It's beautiful. It's really wow. something, but he's the hardest times have been coming home as an older man throughout the years. I've never been married. But I've come close, uh, and uh, and that's I've come close enough that I feel like I all right no no I, I, and the time and and no joke aside they were times when 
I needed my parents, and I didn't realize how much I needed uh, parents. And at times when, you, yeah, you need the original source of love to say, you're okay. You know, this isn't the world saying you're not okay. This wasn't right. This would have bit you in the ass. And you look back a couple of years later upon reflection and go, thank God. But at the time, uh, something elemental, Every it was almost as if everything else in life, anything I had accumulated, whatever identity I had built around myself, kind of flew off like... Uh, like solar shields on, a, uh, on a, a spaceship, and it became just the astronaut in space with my parents saying, you're loved. You are loved. Know that. And you're lovable. And keep going. And, uh, and that's, that's part of it, too, that while all of this is, you know, you, you, I think, you know, as life goes on, I'm here to help you now. I'm here. To, it's, it's payback time for all you've done for me. But I realize... I'm not Superman, and I'm, nobody is, and we're a family, and this is the natural cycle. Of, there's a great beauty in it. I'd like to see that. I like the image. Well, we'll you find know. that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We'll find that. He's not Superman, admittedly, but I've met Craig Bierko now, and he's pretty close. As for Len Carriou, well, he's enough of a Superman that he was just right for the role of Harry Townsend, a fighter. I read that the playwright, George, had said, there are two kinds of people who get old. One who gets old and dies, the other gets old and fights. Yeah. I'm going to assume, since this is a comedy, that Harry is of the second variety. Absolutely. He's feeling like he's, he doesn't have any, any uh, rights anymore. Everybody's taken his driver's license away from him. And he knows that he's doing strange things. But... His independence is everything to him. And he built this house that he is living in. And he and his wife have incredible memories there. Uh, they really did build it piece by piece. And the whole community that he lives in. And now, of course, they're all gone or they've moved away. Um, so his universe is dismantling. Right, and he's the only one left. And now, of course, nobody knows who the hell he is. Mm-hmm. And, he, and he's forgetting a little bit. Right. Himself. And, of course, you know, he, he wants to say, hey, it's, it's me, Harry Townsend. The reason you're here is I built this fucking yeah. community center for you. I built it. Yeah. I was one of the f- nine guys who put this thing together. And they're going, oh, yeah? Really? Oh, thanks. Yeah. And then, you know, they're looking at one another going, good get the security because this guy is really strange uh, and uh, and so he can see that happening and he knows that he's there are deficiencies now he knows that but still you know he has his pride yeah and while he knows he's he has those these deficiencies he doesn't want to give up what really is his his birthright I think that he feels and then, you know, there's this relationship between he and his son that has been wearing on him for a long time now. And, uh, and well, he's at least coming back, and I'm going to be... Yeah. I'm going to get a chance to hug and kiss him, but I'm also going to... Let give him have him the it. Yeah. Uh, but that's kind of the way we've always been. But the vulnerability yeah. isn't the plan. 
the, the, the life happening right. and time moving on isn't the plan. And I think that takes us both by surprise. I think I'd probably come with my suit of armor. I, you know, he thinks I, I'm, I come in with two suitcases. He goes, are you staying longer? And I said, this is my computer so I can work. <laughs> Oh, yeah, you think yeah. you're going to get some work done oh, with me? Around with it? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Uh, uh, I know again, that feeling, too. Right from the beginning, it's very smart. You set up of, like, I'm here, but I'm getting out. I'm sure. not, I'm not, I'm not, you know. Mm. And then life, the gravity of life and love is what keeps him there to make sure. Okay, Amy of the AARP, what should Craig's character do? Not in the play, maybe. That needs some drama. But in real life? when a parent is putting her foot down and less drama is the goal. Yes, that's that's tough. Um, I was just talking with a friend yesterday who's having that situation where um, her mother just, you know, is, is digging in and just will not budge. And, you know, first of all, I think it's important to figure out why they're feeling that way. A lot of it is this fear of loss of control. This is what I'm, what's familiar to me. It's the fear of the unknown. So you have to really build a case for what they will like about it. If you get really at an impasse, I do think it's often helpful to bring in an objective third party to help manage that conversation. And it might be a doctor who can say, you know, we did that with my dad, you know, you know, Robert, I really don't think you should drive anymore. And he took that from the doctor differently than he did from us. You might also hire a geriatric care manager who is trained in some of these conversations. There are elder care mediators also who can be helpful. Uh, but yeah, it's really hard when, when they're pushing back. But what if a manager or mediator isn't on the call list and it's just you and your parent alone center stage? What's step one? So what you have to do is validate. You start out by validating where they are. So if your loved one is frustrated and their loved one's saying, well, it's time for me to go home. And of course they are home. It's time for me to go home. I need to get my stuff. I need to get out of here. Instead of trying to, to explain to them, no, you are home. This is home. Instead say, oh, you're right. What time of day is it? Oh gosh, it's five o'clock. That's about time to go home from work, isn't it? You, you validate where they are. You must feel so exhausted right now because it's time you've had a long day. I bet you're, would you like to sit down and rest a little bit? And when you work it into a diversion, you distract them into something else, but you can't go there until you validate first. Step two, don't hide, make the fight visible. Very true. And as caregivers, we need to make it more possible for our loved ones with dementia to be out in the community and be comfortable doing that. There's a movement called Dementia-Friendly Cities or Communities, and this is sweeping across the country where cities are putting a, a lot of effort into making it easier for people who are living with dementia to be out in the community and getting around more easily. It includes things like training clerks in a store, how to interact with someone who has dementia. You know, I always took my dad out. Uh, he was out and about really until the end of his life almost. And he loved to go shopping. And I, I was always kind of shocked at I, I don't see that many other people in the community who obviously have dementia. There are many people who you would never know because they're in the earlier stages of, of the disease. So I think that's really important for us to support these efforts that bring communities together and educate people and raise awareness. And step three, have a sense of humor about it all. Oh, absolutely. We can't, we cannot survive without our sense of humor. You know, I moderate a, a Facebook 
family caregivers discussion group uh, that AARP has created. And we were just talking about that in the community about, you know, the funny things that happen. We try to have like funny Friday and we all share the, the silly things, you know, like, like one time when I forgot to put my dad's teeth in and we ended up at a baseball game and there he's grinning without his teeth. You know, the things that happen that you're just like, oh my gosh. And sometimes my sister and I, daddy would do things that just seem so not like him. We would just look at each other, hide our face and laugh and stuff because sometimes the humor is what fills us up. It keeps us going. It's part of that fuel um, that refuels us to continue being a good caregiver. It's also the stuff of great comedy. Even Harry Townsend would agree with that. I know that the marketing tagline of this play is actually, it seems actually pretty accurate because it's something I think a lot about with my own parents. You know, the tagline, as I understand, is sometimes it's harder to like someone than it is to love them. Right. It's hard to like people that are yelling at you <laughs> or, you know, treating you, you poorly you only because they are not in full command of their faculties. But I also sometimes feel like those relationships can be richer with people that you love but maybe don't like or wouldn't like if you just met them at the store because they also come with that duty to protect, to caretake. And you're fulfilling this more virtuous obligation to someone that's kin. Does Alan come to that conclusion? I will say, without making it a spoiler, I think the final moment of the play is extraordinarily beautiful. It's just absolutely... And it's, it's this gentleman's moment. <laughs> uh, and he deserves a moment like this, and it's uh, it really is go it really is going to leave people I think kind of breathless and, and leaving the theater feeling beautiful about the way, even how difficult it can be. It's it's it. Do you feel? Do you, do you, yeah. do you feel it's a beautiful moment. Just that's you know, it's really something. And with that, Craig Bierko, Lydia Carriou, an honor and a pleasure to speak with you both. Thank you. Thank you. If you want to see that final moment, now's the time. Harry Townsend's last stand is being stood now at New York City Center Stage 2. For tickets, go to harrytownsendslaststand.com. I'm Kevin Blyer, at Kevin Blyer on Twitter, and in debt to Craig Bathtub Bierko, Len Cannabis Carriou, and Amy Goyer of the AARP. If you enjoy The Backdrop, please subscribe and rate the podcast on Apple Podcasts or anywhere you listen. The Backdrop is produced by Nella Vera, edited by Nella, and by me, and part of the Broadway Podcast Network. Hey, it's Leslie Odom Jr. here on the Broadway Podcast Network to tell you about the RISE Theatre Directory, a program of maestro music. RISE is a national online resource designed to connect and empower backstage and administrative and creative theatre professionals from underrepresented backgrounds. If you work or aspire to work in the theater community, this can help you find your next project. And if you hire theater professionals, search the RISE Theater Directory to find your next team. Create your profile now and get more information by visiting risetheater.org. That's theater with an R-E-R-I-S-E-T-H-E-A-T-R-E dot -E 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 org because only together we rise.